welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. Brenna, we're talking <gasps> Minnesota territory again. We're talking Minnesota and we're back in the Simon Universe. Joe, I'm so happy. Yes, this is very exciting. We've not really had an opportunity to talk about a project like this where we've been able to talk about a book and then a film adaptation. And now, well, originally I thought that this was just kind of a, a weird spin-off and it wouldn't have any direct correlation to the other properties. But of course, that's not true. And actually, we should probably mention what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Love, Victor, which is the uh, new Hulu series that exists in the same universe as the Love, Simon film, and therefore the books Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which we've talked about on the show, and Leah on the Offbeat, which we've also talked about on the show. We are big Becky Albertalli fans. Yes, and it's interesting because this TV show is doing a lot of the same kind of work, so it's almost retelling a portion of Love, Simon, but what people may not know is that Simon is very much still an actual character. Yes, he is. He's sort of like a mentor figure in this series. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, I think Love, Victor is not perfect, and we'll talk about all that, but it does address a lot of our criticisms. I mean, we both adored Love, Simon, but yes. we recognized that it was super white and, very and maybe didn't reflect the full kind of range of difficult experiences for young queer teens. So I think... Love, Victor attempts to tackle a bit more of the hard stuff. Indeed. But before we dig into that, we should probably acknowledge that we've got a special guest on this episode. What, there's someone else in the room? <laughs> well, he's muted, but he's going to come in. Am I allowed to do that joke every time or will people eventually get tired of it? Uh, it's a pretty standard joke for <laughs> podcasts who invite a guest on. Yeah. <laughs> so meta. I figured that considering he got us the screeners for this, and also because we gave him 50% of a terrible experience the last time he was on, we should invite True. Mr. Terry Menard back so that we can make amends for making him read, I am not okay with this. So Terry, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me back and covering something that is not terrible. It's not terrible. And also, can I tell you, like, actually having actual screeners, like, with my name on the screen was just about one of the most exciting experiences of my life. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's just a piracy thing. It's because I know it's just a piracy thing, but it made me feel like a big professional critic. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I remember the first time that I got one with my name on it. It's like, oh, they think I might leak this. <laughs> But also, I'm fancy. I felt so fancy. And I was watching uh, I was watching more of it last night. Because they're screeners and we don't have Hulu in Canada, I was like mainlining the show because I didn't want to risk not seeing the whole thing. And my husband came in last night and I was like, look, my name's on the screen. And he's like, you know, they do that because they think you're going to pirate it, right? And I was like, no, they did it because I'm fancy. <laughs> we're all very important is what we're we saying. We are so fancy. Really enjoyed that part of it. So folks, a little bit of context before we dive into this. The entire first season of Love, Victor is dropping on Hulu on June... 19th. Thank you. On June 19th. So you can watch all 10 episodes. For the purposes of this discussion, we're going to be focusing on the front half. Which makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, and they're 30-minute episodes, so they're pretty easy to breeze through, similar to Never Have I Ever, which we discussed a couple weeks ago, the Mindy Kaling Netflix series. Very kind of easy breezy, but we didn't want to assume that people had gone through all 10 episodes in a weekend, so we're going to cover the front half. Brenna might cue us to things that happen in the back half if we have too much problem with them. Yeah, I was just, I couldn't not watch it. I'd also love to talk with you guys who know a lot more about how TV and production and industry works about why we think this show got moved from Disney Plus to Hulu. Oh boy. Because I gotta tell you. a loaded question. It's BS. We had like a family list of reasons to order Disney Plus and Mm -hmm. Love, Victor was pretty high on my list. So I was really annoyed when it transitioned over to Hulu, which again, for global audiences, and we do have listeners around the world, Disney Plus is a lot more accessible than Hulu. So yeah, um, I'd love to talk about that as part of our conversation too. Okay. So would I. So one other thing that we should acknowledge, as we mentioned off the top, this is part of the Love, Simon universe. And of course, Becky Albertalli has produced a new work that coincides with this show. She has. Yeah, there's a novella. It's coming out at the end of this month called Love Creekwood. And it's only about 100 pages. So true novella. It's designed to be both an epilogue to Leah on the offbeat and Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda, but also sort of connect those stories into the Love Victor universe. And 100% of the proceeds for Love Creekwood will be going to the Trevor Project. Okay, so it's a good excuse to dip back into this world and also support a really good cause. Yes, mm-hmm. and also where Becky Albertalli stands, and we'll be reading it anyway. So. Yes, <laughs> like we wouldn't have otherwise. <laughs> Okay, so the basic premise of Love, Victor, it's pretty straightforward. We're back in Creekwood High, so it's the same school that Simon and Leah and all the people from the book and the film went to, and Victor is a new student. He has moved to, where's Creekwood even supposed to be? Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay, thank you. I knew that, and yet, (laughs) watching the show, I was like, Los Angeles! (laughs) (laughs) So they are new to Atlanta for reasons that become clear over the first half of the season, although not entirely. And Mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Mm -hmm. So Victor has moved with his parents. He has a slightly younger sister. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's a freshman. He's a sophomore. Clearly, I was paying all the attention. (laughs) And then he also has a much younger brother who occasionally pops up when we need some child-friendly drama or a laugh. Yeah, I mean, you're right. He is totally filling that role. I find him less annoying than many of the kid actors who end up in that role. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. So the recurring issue that ties Victor together with Simon is the fact that he is questioning his sexuality. So he arrives at school. He's sort of the mysterious new person, but he wants to reinvent himself from who he was before he arrived here. Mm -hmm. And immediately I found that I was cued because of Love, Simon to think, okay, he's a closet gay Mm -hmm. teen and this is Mm -hmm. going to be about him becoming comfortable with himself and i think one of the things that i appreciate is that the tv show because it's got more time can actually complicate that notion so Mm -hmm. throughout the first half of this season we don't get any clear indicator is he gay is he bisexual is he pansexual and i think that's a really big strength of this tv show Mm -hmm. and the pressures on victor are very different than the ones on simon so victor's parents well his family is catholic 
And he's very aware that his father and his grandparents especially are not comfortable with Mm -hmm. homosexuality. And even when his dad makes some overtures to sort of be kind, uh, it's very clear that like it would hurt him if one of his sons was gay. And so Victor is also carrying around this sense of what happens to his world, right? Like Simon has a perfect family. It's one of the things we talked about when we talked about Love, Simon. And so this is a family with a lot more complexity. And I think that adds to Victor's character a lot. Yeah. The thing that I I really, that really like had me excited immediately watching this was the um, opening kind of voiceover where Mm -hmm. one of the general conceits is that Victor hears about Simon and his journey for acceptance in the Love, Simon movie. And so he reaches out to him on, I'm assuming Instagram. He's direct messaging him. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is basically, um, I've heard all about you and I just want to say, screw you for having (laughs) the most perfect accepting parents, the most supportive friends, the perfect kiss. Like it's basically a complete affront to what the original movie was about and kind of criticizing it in ways that I think a lot of people originally criticized Love, Simon for. Mm Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that, Brenna, while you were talking, because it's it presents a much more complicated view of what a queer experience could be like, where you are from a deeply religious family. I mean, in one of the first scenes, the mom is hanging up a, a crucifix on in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's like this overwhelming presence. And, and the dad even has like this sort of stereotypical machismo. Yeah. He's blue collar. He's fine with other people being gay, but it's sort of that kind of like, as long as they're doing it in their in their rooms and not doing it parading it out in public and as yeah. long as my kid isn't like that. Well, and there's that great scene in the church, right, as part of that opening montage when it's sort of trying to indicate the life that Victor mm. has come from in Texas and they're all in church together and a gentleman who's clearly coded as gay yes. is talking to Simon's mom and Simon's mom is like, oh, I have to hook you up with my sister. And he's like, oh, well, I'm super busy at the hair salon at right the now. Hair salon. Right. And so there's this sense of like the deep closeting of the entire community from which Victor has come. And now he's sort of landing at Creekwood, which has had this viral moment, right? Because the messaging is that that kiss on the Ferris wheel at the end of Love, Simon has gone viral and everybody mm-hmm. knows Creekwood as being this like super accepting place. But it's not. But it's not. <laughs> and the whiplash for Victor is very real. Well, I think it's interesting that you both said, but it's not. So we do have a love interest for Victor. Well, we have two love interests for Victor, mm-hmm. but the male love interest, Benji, who is played by George Sear, he's very obviously out and it seems... Mm as though he doesn't have a lot of issues with it. We, you know, over time come to realize that it wasn't a simple process for him mm-hmm, and that things haven't now. been easy, but there's still a certain element of fantasy. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is still very much a romance-driven show. Um, sorry, I just I have to interject while we're talking about the romance. Okay. The acoustic version of Call Me Maybe oh my right? God. <laughs> just about killed me. Love. <laughs> we loved Love. it so much. I was like, this is my favorite pop song, and this is the most adorable scene. It was like, I'm not going to say it was like the scene from Schitt's Creek Mm. singing Mm -mm -mm -mm. moment for me, but, you know, it was approaching it. I really loved that scene so much. But kind of to your point, though, Joe, um, I I do think 
because like at the very end of love simon like it almost seems like their kiss has conquered homophobia and everything yes. is 100%. you know everything is is great and there's a lot of little microaggressions that are happening still at the school and even mm-hmm. uh, before we get to that one of the things that i loved was the returning uh, mrs albright who's yes. now the vp because she was one of my favorite characters from love simon i was hoping she'd be in it more but she had that one scene so far in the first five episodes and she hasn't come back yet but but she's like you know talking about how you know oh yeah everything's so accepting now but even victor's new friend felix is telling him you know well benji is gay and i have no problem with that but you don't want to give anyone the wrong idea yeah and in the locker room the jocks are homophobically talking and so there's like all these little tiny little microaggressions that are still happening and even Felix's whole identity at the school, right? There's this whole sort of thing about him only having one testicle. And that's how he introduces himself to Victor. He's like, you're going to hear about the fact that I only have one testicle. He's like, it's a rumor. But yeah. his his masculinity, like this this particular representation of masculinity is still really important. That's like the school's like over it conceptually. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I like that. I actually kind of liked the subtlety of those scenes. Like if you were straight identifying you could walk through that community and be like, yeah, everybody's totally accepted here. Mm-hmm. But we're listening through Victor's ears, so we're hearing something much more. Well, and that's inherently part of a queer experience. There's no shortage of coming out stories where people will go back and say, family member said this, friends said this, mm-hmm. I overheard this, I saw it in pop culture, and it's micro. It shouldn't have been a big deal. And yet for somebody who's struggling with it and who can't quite find the voice to come out or to to speak their truth. Those are the things that end up imprinting on you and you remember them for years afterwards. So a casual offhand comment can be a thing that becomes like a scar and you're still processing it a decade later. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think going back to the kind of like montage in the beginning um, with the church scene where the mom doesn't completely understand, you know, that there's this character's coded as gay, but then the father does the little hand the gesture thing. like, yeah. The, mm-hmm. yeah, like, oh, you know, he's a fairy is kind of the, the impression, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, that the father is giving off. Well, and her response to that, too, she's like, oh, no, like that's in our church, right? Right, Right, exactly. So, I mean, kind of going with what you're saying, Joe, I think that even those that has left a scar on Simon because you could see the way he looks. And then he gets to the school where his vice principal is telling him, you know, everything is is great here. You can be open. You can be whoever you want. And then it's these little things that bring back that reminder that his dad set in the church, uh, however long ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this first episode is very much a traditional entry point. So it's a little bit frenetic at times. Like they arrive the very next day, the kids are off to school. (laughs) (laughs) The winter carnival is happening that night. So there's a lot that's going on in terms of this is a very fast moving first episode, but it also acts as a bit of a standalone because of course, by the end of it, we've introduced both of our love interests. So the other is the rich popular girl, Mia played by Rachel Hilson. And we come to this dividing decision where Victor has to make a choice. Is he going to acknowledge the fact that he has some burgeoning feelings for Benji or is he going to bypass those and maybe go a more conventional route and give Mia a shot? And ultimately, at the end of the first episode, he invites Mia to join him on the Ferris wheel, which, of course, is a nice callback to the film. Mm-hmm. And 
I really felt like this first episode, despite being just a little too busy and a little too fast, does a good job of saying, here's everybody, here's what you need to know, Mm -hmm. here's a callback to the movie, just to put a pin in the fact that, yes, we know that you watched the movie and this is what you're expecting, but then it says, okay, from here on, it's going to be a new story. Well, and I like the way the Ferris wheel gets rewritten, because what Victor ends up doing is imagining himself on the Ferris wheel with Benji and the whole community booing him, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, even though he's in this place and he knows, you know, he's communicating with Simon and he understands that this is supposed to be like (laughs) gay teen Mecca, (laughs) he does not imagine that future for himself in that moment. He imagines himself still being quite maligned. By everyone, even his family. Like even his family's down Maybe especially his family, right? And so I think that that, sorry, I think that that (laughs) distinction between the two approaches to the property is really interesting. Yeah, so one of the things that we've not explicitly addressed is the fact that Victor and his family are not white. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're not. (laughs) (laughs) And we talked pretty extensively about the perfection that is Simon's family. So he is solidly upper middle class. That bedroom! (laughs) She screamed into the void. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, and of course, yes, he's got perfect parents and he's got mostly supportive friends. I mean, we did talk about how the film doesn't do a great job of addressing the way his friends deal with it and how it almost gives them an easy out for being kind of terrible to mm-hmm. Simon yeah. throughout that film. Mm-hmm. I like that the show just immediately says, we're not doing that kind of stuff. So not only are they lower middle class in this, like they live in a walk-up with a lot of other tenants, the space is still quite big. I'm not going to lie. Oh, it is. Their apartment is generous. (laughs) So we have religious parents. We have parents who are fighting. They're not in a good place in terms of their relationship. And we learn over the course of the season that, Part of that has to do with an infidelity on the part of the mother, Isabel, who is played by Anna Ortiz, who I was not going to lie, super excited to see because I have loved Mm -hmm. her since Ugly Betty. Ugly Betty. (laughs) And of course, uh, Armando, the father, is played by James Martinez. And Brenna, I was wondering, did you recognize him from One Day at a Time? He's the dad on One Day at a Time. And he does a really good job in that role. So he's, uh, we've talked about One Day at a Time on the show, and he's the character who's wrestling with PTSD okay. on that show. I mean, it's a very similar role, but I think this one's a lot kind of happy. Well, they are <laughs> actually really happier. similar now that I start saying it out loud. Yeah, I really like him. I find him a very good TV dad. Yes, I find them both very likable. I'll admit my biggest struggle is Pilar, who is mm. played by Isabella Ferreira. And oh boy, she feels like a stock I'm having difficulties sister character and it was a big struggle for me in this first half of the season to get on board with her. I think you'll like her better in the second half but you're right. In fact there's a moment when Mia is talking to her and I don't remember what it but she basically says like let's compare our teen angst I guess. (laughs) (laughs) She is pretty stock. Yeah I found her very very flat um, just kind of the negative character in in the family where that's always like pushing buttons yes i mean she she's a foil to to victor right because mm-hmm. victor at one point even says that he's kind of the family fixer that yes. whenever there's drama he wants to like cover it up by making pancakes or whatever whereas mm-hmm. pilar is definitely uh i'm gonna keep poke 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 poking and sometimes it i think it was a little 
unrealistic in her poking. Yeah, when Victor and Pilar find out that their mom had an affair, they set up this weird entrapment ruse in (sighs) one of the episodes. And I want to give Love, Victor credit for not just saying okay, we're telling a teen romance and here's this boy, he's got two romantic options. That's our first season. Like, they're actually Mm -hmm. trying to do a lot of Mm -hmm. storytelling. They're trying to give each of these characters their own arc. But I feel like, particularly in this first half, they're just not giving enough of that to Pilar. So whenever Mm -hmm. we see her, she's more like, okay, yes, we've seen this teen girl character before teen girls are far more complicated and interesting than this and it's a shame that kept being my repeated refrain i was like this is just not a good character and i feel bad for this actress yeah and she does mellow as the season progresses in the back half she becomes more integral to some of the developing plots that gives her a a lot more to do but she they never do get rid of that sort of just the grating nature of her as the foil which really yeah she's very very traditionally a foil in the lack of dimensionality to her character. And Joe, you kind of you kind of mentioned that the show is doing a lot in this first season. And to be perfectly honest, I kind of wish it wasn't. I kind of <laughs> wish it was more focused on teens and understanding sexuality and that kind of aspect of it. Like I don't, you know, it's okay to have flavor, but like I'm I'm kind of not interested in Victor's parents' infidelity and whatever. Mia's dad, meanwhile, is never there, and he's bringing a new woman home in the early half of of, yeah. it, of the season. And then Lake, who curates, I guess, the Creekwood Secrets. Oh, wait till you meet her mom. She's a local celebrity broadcaster. Like, I, I don't care about these adults. It's almost like the Charlie Brown want, 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 want. I mean, I just... <laughs> I want more focus on the on the, the kids aspect and have them being less of a secondary character than spending so much time digging into their problems. Because at the end of the day, I want to know more about Victor. I want to know more about Creekwood. I want to know more about Mia and Lake and Benji and all of these characters that are supposed to be our entry point. And I, I, I just feel like for a 30 minute episode that it's spending way too much time on the kind of boring adults. Right. <laughs> I feel like we had a bit of a transition with Riverdale when all of a sudden like parents were kind of part of the TV narrative in a way that they hadn't been before. And that's when I stopped watching. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I I mean, I actually really like the parent storylines, but I think I very much now watch teen programming from a mom perspective. I'm like, right. what's yeah. going on with the parent relationships? Are they raising <laughs> these children right? So, but I, so I recognize I'm also not the target demo. And maybe if you're appealing to me, uh, you've made a mistake. Um, <laughs> But I'm always interested in how the parents get represented, at, whether or not the parents get represented as multidimensional characters. And that is something I think the series is doing well. Um, we spend more time with both Mia's dad and Lake's mom in the back half of the season. Okay. And I appreciated that in the case of Mia's dad, things get a lot more complicated. And I like that, like... We get so many one-dimensional parents in YA that it's, for me, it's nice to see some attention to the complexity. But I take your point that especially in a half-hour episode, we may not want to be spending so much time there. Yeah. 
That for me, I think, is the big distinguishing factor because I'm thinking back to Beverly Hills 90210 tried to give, you know, Brandon's parents a a certain amount of agency and their own storylines. But it's really different when you've got 42 minutes to work Mm -hmm. with as opposed to 27 minutes. And I mean, this isn't a huge cast, but I'm looking at it on IMDb and there's at least 10 characters who each have mini arcs and their own drama and when you're trying to put that into 27 minutes and create a certain mood and atmosphere like it's ambitious mm-hmm. and i think part of this is that the show is still trying to figure out which storylines are most interesting and important to tell mm-hmm. this feels very much like a work in progress to me in certain yeah. regards i think that's really fair one character for whom i think that's really true is felix Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know anything about Felix. Yeah. And yet, by by the end of the series, you will. By the end of the season, you will. He's one character who I really didn't like in the first couple of episodes. I was like, ah, Mm -hmm. sort of stock, awkward kid who comes on too strong. He's too much. You know who he kind of reminds me of, though, Joe? He reminds me, and I, I say Joe because he, he'll know my reference. Because, um, sorry, Brenna, it's horror. Oh, wow. But uh, he kind of reminds me of like a mix of. Sean Mendez meets Evil Ed. Okay, yeah. I was getting Friday a night. bit of like Dylan O'Brien myself. Yeah. But yeah. He just has that kind of like off awkward nerdiness yes. that like Absolutely. Evil Ed has. But he kind of has that that kind of like face and, and hair of, of Sean Mendez. It's kind of it's weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the back half of the season, he really comes into his own as a character. We both learn something about his backstory. We learn why it is he spends so much time at Victor's house, even though they just met. And we learn, well, he just, he, he comes to play a more significant emotional role in Victor's life by the back half of the series. And that was one storyline that I wish had found its feet earlier. Mm. And I think you're right. If we weren't spending so much time with Victor's parents, we would have more time to explore his friendships and these relationships that he's building so quickly, by the way. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. He gets popular at this school fast. <laughs> that second episode. Yeah. I mean, he's getting popular. He's got a job. I mean, he is adorable. <laughs> he is adorable. Oh, my God. He's so cute. Yes. Can we just talk about Michael Simino's who plays Victor? That smile. Like, holy oh, my cow. gosh. That's this so kid winsome. is a find. He really is. He's one of the most charming YA leads we've seen in a long time. You know, mm-hmm. so often we get told that Noah Centineo is like, it. This person is so special. They're so gorgeous. They're so commanding. You're like, but where is it? Yeah, but here it's every look, every gesture. He has this phenomenal ability to show, I don't know, there's so much complexity in the way he feels about Mia and the way he feels about Benji. Mm-hmm. He genuinely loves Mia and yet right Mm -hmm. and you see it in every look he gives her he's a very good actor like I've really enjoyed him he's very charming he's got quite a presence and yeah like I found myself just really intrigued by his facial expressions because they said so much I was Mm -hmm. really quite delighted with him it doesn't hurt that he also has really great chemistry with both Mia both of and them. Benji. Yes. So you can see him yes. the scene where they're dancing. The scene where they're dancing oh in the God. coffee shop. Mm-hmm. It was so adorable. So adorable. I'm the whitest white lady watching this show, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, not to sound like a broken record, but it reminds me very much of Never Have I Ever in those moments where it's really doing something great in bite-sized pieces. Like it's mm-hmm. capturing... Yes 
the nuance of particular encounters. We've all had a moment where we connect with somebody and you have a little silly dance or mm -hmm. almost like a music drop kind of thing. And that feels so relatable that it grates or contrasts a little too much when we've got made for television moments like here's yeah. infidelity here's you know something to do with social media written by adults who don't always understand how teens use it are you cuffed <laughs> yeah the stoplight party was pretty high level cringe like i've seen that story on gossip girl and gossip girl was a while ago folks yeah and you guys know my thing about breakfast club scenes and yes there is a breakfast club of course there is. Lord help us all. <laughs> Talking about those little moments, though, like the, the first moment that really spoke to me that I I've really fell in love with uh, the chemistry between Victor and Benji in particular was when he's learning how to use the uh, the milk frother yeah. and he's learning how to make coffee. There is so much like subtext behind the scene like pack it in real tight see how tight that is and he's mm -hmm. running his hands through his hair and pouring oh God, white so milk good. that scene is so good biting his lip and then victor froths over and it's yeah. like okay there's there's some it's it's funny because it's a metaphor yeah but it's also like we've been in that scene before we're, we're standing so close to someone that we're so attracted to mm -hmm. and we just sort of like mess something up yeah i love that scene and then to contrast it with the dance that you were talking about later it's just those little moments really popped in this show for me. And I love the complexity of the show in allowing him to have those romantic, high chemistry moments with both Mia and Benji. Like we've seen this story before where the relationship with Mia would be more sort of cardboard mm -hmm. and like a performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's absolutely not right. And yeah. we all know it. And it's just no, a matter of No, that's time. not the case at all. Like... I mean, first of all, they should just be best friends because they get along so well and they have so much in common and they connect in so many different ways. And it's this desire that Victor has to be quote unquote normal and, and the way that Mia is like a conduit to that that is not fair to her, but also is totally understandable given his circumstances. But also like they also have moments of great chemistry and they have moments where you're kind of like, oh my God, they're so cute together too, right? Like, um, I really mm -hmm. like that the show mm -hmm. was interested in exploring that and have it be a little bit less, I don't know, one dimensional. I guess his sexuality is not one dimensional. Like he is very literally figuring mm -hmm. things out. Yeah. And the show is happy to give time to that, which I liked. I think what we've actually seen over the trajectory of these various properties is that in a way, Love, Simon was a very simple, straightforward, almost too perfect romantic mm -hmm. fantasy. Like we talked about it on that episode. It's everything that queer teens need to see, right? Mm -hmm. It's a love story where they can come out and be accepted mm -hmm. and it's not inherently difficult. I mean, it is, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And then if you read Leah on the offbeat, that becomes far more complicated mm -hmm. and it's not as simple and it starts to get richer and almost more interesting because mm -hmm. it's not simple mm -hmm. and now we've got this which takes it that one step further right where it's not just oh he's gay and he doesn't realize it yet like I don't feel like this series is doing a stepping stone of I'm bisexual no actually I'm really gay mm. No. And that's super refreshing because yeah. there's a history in queer narratives of bi erasure. So I'm actually kind of hoping that Victor 
Like, I really hope that he ends up being a bisexual character because that would be great for representation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Diet you. <laughs> no. Uh, it's actually geez. interesting. I think there's a, a scene where he starts to try to put words to his feelings. Right. And he... He doesn't say, I'm gay. He chooses to phrase things differently. And I, I have been wondering if that is something they're going to plumb in the second season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that is the other thing. This is not a one-off. This is clearly intended to be an ongoing series. Mm-hmm. So we've chastised it gently for maybe taking on too much and trying to do too much in a short amount of time. But they're also trying to lay a foundation for future seasons to come, which I think is ambitious and i give them credit for that Mm -hmm. can we talk about some of these other secondary characters that we haven't talked about like andrew the football jock who is in Mm -hmm. love with mia or brenna you mentioned lake Mm -hmm. terry you said she runs you know the the weird social media gossip girl style creek secrets which i'm assuming will become slightly more important later on because it's introduced in the first episode and then mostly dropped well i think it's mostly just to tie it back to the movie right Uh, okay yeah but yeah she's sort of the the school influencer i don't like her no no i don't think that you're supposed to i find her a bad actress I felt like the third episode is the weakest of the five that I've seen. And that's the episode where we've got two very different dates. So Victor takes Mia out on a date to a terrible looking environmental art show. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Lake <laughs> and Andrew being the pair who you would think should get together, but they both actually are interested in other things. And they go to the Battle of the Bands and they have some of the worst dialogue I've seen on TV in the last six months. It's so cringy. but i also don't think that the show really knows what to do with andrew because like he's immediately kind of placed as sort of victor's rival yes i don't know sports terms but he's like points something oh here i know the technical terms for this (laughs) they are both they're both basketball guys oh yes they're both (laughs) basketball guys that want the same position they want the same basketball thing Yes, thank you. <laughs> I need a translator. <laughs> uh, can, can we page some men in here, please? Clearly <laughs> none of us know what we're talking about. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, Why are we such stereotypes? <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> but he's kind of like, you know, he's a jerk to him. And like, he, yes. he wants to, he starts this GoFundMe not to be nice, but to, to put him down. Oh, and yes. like, his first introduction to Victor is, do you like what you see? Because they're in the locker room and they're all shirtless and he keeps looking back because they're talking about um they're you know using homophobic slurs they're like oh that's so gay you know and so he's looking back because of that and andrew comes up and is like oh i'm just kidding you know but are you is it you like something you see you know so like he starts off like that but then by the third episode it's almost dropped and he's now kind of a friend i i it's so yeah, kind of wishy-washy feel sorry for him because he's got this unrequited crush mm. on mia that he's never been able to act on and but so does everyone else <laughs> yeah i'm like well that doesn't make you interesting and it doesn't excuse your past behavior because you're still clearly coded as a jerk yeah and he is we find out in that breakfast club episode that he is the genesis of the one testicle oh, rumors about felix yeah, that, that persist 
and he and Felix have like a come to Jesus conversation a la Breakfast Club um, Mm -hmm. in that episode that I think is intended to give Andrew more backstory and complexity, but really for me was a standout moment for Felix. Okay. Yeah, I think so. There's a backstory between Mia and Andrew that comes out in the back half of the season. Hmm. Nope, can't do it <laughs> Do you want to maybe not say it? <laughs> All this to say, I feel like my issue with both Lake and Andrew, kind of like how we talked about with Pilar, is that they're clearly setting some stuff up and they are going to devote more time and energy to them. But particularly in these early episodes, when there's so many characters and things are happening very quickly, there was a lot of time where I was like, can we just stick with Victor and Mia and Benji? Yes. And maybe have like a touch of Felix to help navigate or negotiate some of this. Like, it feels like the show maybe shouldn't have front loaded so many characters. But because Victor is a new student, we had to have, well, here's your introduction to everybody. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I like actually, with the exception of Lake, who even once you learn more is not that interesting. Right. It's because white people aren't. No, it's true. No. I like all of what is happening with the side characters, but I agree with you that there's probably way too much. Okay. Well, I think they're also a little too similar. I mean, so far, the defining features between all of the side characters is that Lake is deeply in love with Andrew. Andrew is deeply in love with Mia. Felix mm-hmm. is deeply in love with Lake. Like it's like it's mm-hmm. this weird love quad. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> but they're all. It's all the same. It's all the same. Like trademark. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing that's like pushing people forward. I wonder if maybe because they front load the parent issues so much. Like I wonder if the show would work better if all the stuff we learn about the friends in the back half of the season was in the front half of the season, and the parent stuff was sort of the hmm. end of season discovery into the season two i wonder if that might help because it's true you're required to wait an awfully long time to understand why we even have a felix is the one who stands out to me because i really like his characterization by the end of the season but i was miffed when i got to there that i had to wait so long right It's interesting. I mean, I think this is the challenge with a TV show, right? Like at the end of the day, they're working with approximately five hours. So it's about three and a half hours longer than what we had with Love, Simon. So you've got more room to play in terms of experimenting and exploring different characters and their backstories and so on. But it also means that you can get lost by going down tangents or you you realize, oh, maybe I should have prioritized certain people first. Yeah, I think so. And I also think, without giving away any spoilers, I think our listeners would be annoyed if I didn't mention something that is particular in the finale episode. Is it about Simon? Uh, no, no. This show makes some of the same choices that sex education made around the uh, relationships ending up centering the white characters. So there's a lot of interracial relationships in the show aren't necessarily like a person of color and a white person, which tends to be how interracial relationships are represented on screen. But by the end of the finale episode, we see quite a bit of that work being erased Hmm. and the centering of the white characters in a way that genuinely surprised me. Also, I think I wouldn't have been so attuned to it if our listeners hadn't made us so aware of it in 
sex education. Mm. So I'm grateful for that. But it's interesting that without going into a part we're not really talking about, I think it's worth paying attention to whose story is the quote unquote happy ending. Um, mm. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. But I think people okay. should be aware of it when they're watching. Hmm. Okay. I must say, hearing everything that you said about the back half of the season, I'm now very eager to dive in and check out the rest. I really liked it. The show really came together. Like, I liked the first five episodes enough that I wanted to watch the second five episodes before my screeners expired. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I really did like it a lot. But yeah, I feel a lot like the way we felt about Love, Simon, which is that there's a lot that's happening here that's really valuable and good and necessary and likable and charming and interesting. And also some choices get made that I wish hadn't been made. Right. I think we've got two more issues that we should address. One is the presence of Simon throughout Mm. this as Mm. a bit of a destructive framing device. John McEnroe, take two. (laughs) Yes. And also taking a step back from the actual interior life of the show to address the fact that it has been moved from Disney Plus to Hulu. Should we start with Simon? Yeah. So what do y'all think about the fact that Simon gets voiceover in every single episode? Um, I don't like it. I liked it in the first <laughs> episode, made sense, connected back to the film, got it. But I didn't, I didn't like it as a continuing thing. Mm-hmm. What I do like about it is I like that there is an avenue for someone who is questioning to have someone that went through it mm. that they can bounce stuff off of. Because when you are that closeted and you don't have an avenue that you feel that you can reach out to it's a very lonely experience mm-hmm. and so i am happy that he has this avenue that thematically works because of you know yeah, love Simon movie. <laughs> but i also am kind of bothered with how it's implemented because it comes across as a white guy being the mentor for a non-white mm-hmm. person It's almost like a white savior aspect of it where it's like, you know, Victor is complaining about something and then Simon's like, well, you know, if you do this or you do this, then, Mm -hmm. you know, this will be this. And so here's how you can solve all your problems. Right. And so it becomes more of a uncomfortable, cringy white savior narrative so far, at least in the first five episodes. Yeah. That the way it's used is bothering me. But the fact that he has it was a very smart choice from just purely a... A closeted perspective yeah they do address some of that in i guess it's episode six seven they do address some of that oh i'm wrong eight episode eight (laughs) anyway you you sort of find out that simon has been consulting with friends on how to help victor and he sort of recognizes that he can't be sort of a one-size-fits-all like mentor figure in a scene that i actually found quite powerful but yeah, I, I agree that I don't think it's, I guess my problem with the implementation of it is it's almost, I don't know, I don't want to use the word easy. It's the word that's coming to mind. I don't begrudge Victor having having comfort or having something easy. But from a narrative perspective, I didn't like that he sort of caps off every episode by like, well, if you tried this or did this, and then we kind of know that that's what's going to happen in the next episode, right? Like, it's just kind of, I found a it a bit after rope. school special. Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of somewhere in the middle because I agree with you, Terry, that I think even highlighting the fact that it's so important for people who don't have anyone in their immediate life, that there are still resources and avenues and people who they can talk to 
and unfortunately they often have to seek it out and in this case it's it's a little bit easier because you can just say cool i'll just dm this famous guy and he immediately (laughs) responds to me and provides me with really sage advice I'm interested in Brenna. I don't want you to address this. I'm just going to put it out there. But I think it's an interesting creative decision to have a character who is not visually present be that person. Because I think that what we've had so many conversations about in this episode is that there's so many characters. And how much more interesting would it have been to have given Victor a confidant? Yeah maybe some other queer character that he could actually speak to. Like, I kind of thought that that's where they were sort of going to go with Benji because here's this other out person that maybe that becomes a person that Victor can begin to confide in and learn a little bit from, and then it becomes romantic or something. I also even thought that could have been an interesting use for the sister, right? Like we don't have a great relationship between the two, but I'm waiting for the pin to drop where someone is going to find out And then that person becomes a member of the inner circle. Yeah. I am not addressing it. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. So we'll see. We'll see how this all plays out. But uh, maybe let's take that step back and talk about, did Disney make an informed decision when they decided that this was too risque? No. Okay. (laughs) So again, I've only seen the first five episodes, but I'm watching this and I'm going, it's very vanilla, and I don't mean that so like... chaste. Right, it's incredibly it's chaste. chaste. Yeah. With everything. So far, there's been two same-sex kisses, and they're both incredibly chaste. The mm. kiss with Victor and Mia has always been chaste. There's hand-holding. There's nothing in here, at least in the first five episodes, that is outside of a casual once-in-a-while curse word that is anything mm. that doesn't feel out of tune with a regular Disney show. Even in the back half, there's one makeout scene and one drag queen. Right. That's it. Yeah. Because Katja does appear. It made no, it makes no sense to me. When we look at the way straight teen romances find space on, on Disney Plus, it makes absolutely no sense to me that this was moved to Hulu. And to clarify, we've talked about other teen properties that have debuted on Hulu. And I think the most obvious one that comes to mind for me is John Green's Looking for Alaska. Mm-hmm. And when I compare the nature of these two shows, Looking for Alaska has some very adult themes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this feels like a PG rated romance. Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this because I was taking notes about this because I figured this was going to come up. And it surprised me because I expected this show to be a little more edgier based on the fact that Disney dropped it for quote unquote alcohol and what is it? Sexual exploration. But like, I think that that actually ends up hurting it in the long run because it was made to be a more PG thing Mm -hmm. on Disney. Yes. And now that it's on Hulu and it's not on Disney, I feel that it does feel completely out of place. Like everything from, from even the, the introduction, uh, the, the credit scenes feels like, Oh my gosh, those credits. It feels like (laughs) it feels straight out of like a a decom or like a Disney, like, you know, show that was going to be airing on the Disney channel. It has that, that feel of it. And so when you're not on the Disney channel and you're putting it on a place that allows a little bit more experimentation, that allows the characters to, to be a little bit more adult or to explore things realistically, a little bit less PG. It feels so incredibly vanilla. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. I'm I'm actually intrigued to see, because I 
like a lot of properties, I do anticipate that this will probably be warmly received and it will ultimately be granted a second season because I think the audience is going to be there. And I'll be very interested to see what a second season looks like. Are they going to go Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt style where they really say, you know what, we're on a different service provider and we can change the format as a result. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking of was the change from with Kimmy Schmidt to Netflix. Absolutely. Yeah, this was made for Disney. It feels like a Disney show. And I think it's really sad that we're in the year 2020 and a corporate conglomerate was so concerned about queer content. Because that is the decision. It was an economic decision where they said, do we want to risk parents complaining that there is a queer love story on Disney Plus? And the answer was no. So they blinked and they moved it to Hulu. And that's really sad. It's incredibly sad. And debuting during Pride Month, folks. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's kicking the pants. <laughs> ah, lovely. There is one other thing I kind of wanted to, to touch on is that as I'm watching more young adult movies and reading some more young adult books, there's such a focus on music in them. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that had me excited but also a little displeased with this series so far is that they are focusing on a lot of queer songwriters. Um, the guy that, that sings the opening theme is Tyler Glenn, who is gay and was the lead singer of the Neon Trees. And he had a whole album called Excommunicated about his struggles with being a Mormon and, and being kicked to the curb once he came out. So like wow. they're showcasing him as the, as the singer of the, the opening theme. And then they also have the Japanese house that is the solo artist, Amber Bain, who is queer and they feature music by, I don't know how to pronounce it. Rabble or Rabel, who is a gay man, but then there's a lot of straight songs. And what I, what I really liked about love Simon was that I really liked the soundtrack, but it was incredibly, it was incredibly a straight soundtrack outside of like a couple throw-ins of like you know Troy Sivan and whatnot and uh, hearing some of the the queer artists in this I was really hoping that they would go hard on presenting a great queer alt-pop soundtrack with this this series because I, I do feel that especially in the gay community we do tend to focus more on the straight artists the straight divas the straight you know people that are allies but they're Absolutely. not necessarily queer themselves and so I was really really hoping when I heard Tyler Glenn singing and I heard the Japanese house and that they would give us more K-Flay and King Princess and Rena, mm-hmm. you know, all of these artists that are operating in the alt-pop or alt-rock soundtrack world that would fit perfectly in the soundtrack. Yeah. But there's a lot of straightness. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder if this is the difference between straight creatives who are maybe consulting the community as opposed to queer creatives playing more integral roles behind the scenes in the production. Yeah. It's a good question because I don't I don't know who the people are that that created this. I don't know what their their work is. Are they? I can't say for certain, but it's the two writers of the film are the people who are show running. Oh, okay. I think they got some queer directors to do some of the episodes. Okay. Yeah, that was something I didn't really have a chance to look into yet. That's tricky too, particularly when you're recording in advance. It's hard to get all that information. Like sometimes yeah. it comes out after the fact. Yeah, well, it, even like with the the song, the only reason I know it was from Tyler Glenn is I reached out to him on Twitter and he responded, thankfully. <laughs> oh, nice. <Okay>. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. I think maybe we should probably wrap it up there. Are we going to do YA bingo? I literally always want to do YA bingo. <laughs> 
I always just go to Joe's Twitter feed like during the show and go to his media and then pick up because he posts it so often then I just get the most recent version of it because I'm a terrible (laughs) co-host no because you have a child and a full-time job I know but I'm not gonna have that excuse much longer when you also have a full-time job this is true I shall expect so much more of you Uh (laughs) uh-oh bingo not a good bingo okay Okay, Terry, you're our guest, so I think you should be allowed to go first. And why bingo? Ooh, gosh. Okay, so stunt casting, obviously. You know, there's the cameo for Mrs. Albright, and there's a dude that plays Simon. Nick Robinson. (laughs) Nick Robinson. Mm -hmm. And then also Mackay Pfeiffer. I love him, by the way. As a university president, I'm here for this. (laughs) So there's definitely some stunt casting. There's definitely some rich people problems. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> particularly in Mia's storyline yes uh the the kind of like she's living in a completely ginormous mm-hmm. completely all-white house mm-hmm. uh and her you know dad has always gone off gallivanting apparently Lake's story too is very much a rich people problem story i right. could see that um i will also say this this might be controversial but i think victor and benji their dance scene was a perfect date yes it was yeah, okay. it's very adorable. Even if Benji doesn't call it a date, you know, right. we're all watching thinking, hello, it's boys. It's only a date. And then he sings, call me, maybe. I know. And looking, <laughs> looking straight at him and everyone else vanishes. I'm like, oh, that moment. So and then fun. I will also say, like, love triangle. Uh, try about, like, 50 million love triangles yeah. in this. Like, that's, like, so pretty love- much a defining feature of the kids. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> everybody wants to kiss everybody else. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Just why Brenna likes it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. Okay, Brenna, what kinds of things do you have here? Mm, obviously sexual awakening. Just a touch. Just a little bit. I think we're supposed to read Lake as a slutty secondary character. I don't 100% really? buy it, but I think that's how she's set up. Interesting. So you can you can disagree and not not take that one, but I think no, I I do agree with that actually as a PG version of a it, PG a Disney version, yeah, a Disney Plus because, version. Like, of she's the one that's like you're doing we're doing a stoplight party, which you know if this was anything else would be a little bit higher than right. a you know yeah yeah, yeah I oof, that's I love that party. we see no skin on these kids none <laughs> none I mean gross old man alert but yeah and that's the other thing she's like you know she wants Benji to take his shirt off like all the time yeah that's how you know. That's how you can tell. (laughs) I actually did like that these teens dress more like teens than in a lot of the series we've watched, which Mm -hmm. I appreciated. Okay, like, uh, oh, yeah, the other one I was going to say is unlikely friendship in Mm. the way that Felix and Victor are set up at the beginning, but also in the relationship that develops between Victor and Simon. Okay. Yeah. And Simon's convenient expertise at everything about a (laughs) POC gay experience. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a typical white guy, right? I know (laughs) everything. I am actually refreshed that I don't feel like I need to put mediocre white boys on the board right now. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. I mean, I think I would probably add musicality to this just because, Terry, you made that great point that music really is pretty integral to this. And I'm going to try to keep a better track of that now that you highlighted, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if they went a little bit more queer with some other artist choice? Mm, That's interesting. Do we see any others? I'm genuinely surprised that we don't have a dead parent in here somewhere. Yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, that's a good point. We have some bad moms, but we don't have any dead ones. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Also, moms really take it on the chin in this series. (laughs) I was waiting to see how long it took you. Yeah. 
yeah, Mia's mom is bad. You'll find yep. out about Felix's mom and Lake's mom. And obviously, I do like the complexity in the relationship between Victor's parents of Victor's mom sort of shouldering all the blame in the family yes. while we are all aware that there's there is something more to the story. Mm-hmm. I think of all of the breadcrumbs in the first half of the season, that's kind of the one I'm most interested in. That is the literal reason why I finished the series, because I needed to know. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. What did you do? What did you do, Victor's dad? <laughs> okay. Well, sadly, that is not a bingo line. No. We came a little bit close, but sometimes I feel like it's actually good that we don't have as many tropes as we expect because maybe it means that a show is trying something different. Yeah, and I think this one is. I think you guys are right in all the ways you've pointed out that it wasn't 100% successful. I will say that I think I bought into the whole thing a little bit more than you guys did. Yeah. You also have the benefit of, of seeing the whole show, so like there, there might be things that, that we're not seeing yet yeah. that gets paid off later, right? Yeah, that's true. And it, it's so rare for me to be the one in the position of having actually seen the whole thing. <laughs> this is true. You hear how she's lorded it over me the entire episode. Is this the first time ever that I've watched more of a thing than you? I think it might be. Well, you know what? I would have watched the entire show, Brenna, except we had agreed to only watch I the first time. I thought we were just trying to watch at least five episodes. You know what, Brenna? We're going to talk about this later. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, take us home. With many thanks to Terry for coming and talking with us and I think offering a lot of complexity to some of our readings. Really appreciated having you here today, Terry. If folks wanted to find you on the internets, I usually say to yell, but let's say they really liked your perspective and want to share more of it. How would they find you? Well, I am at uh, Gaily Dreadful on Twitter. I run the website Gaily Dreadful, and I'm also on a podcast called Scarred for Life, where we do a dive into the horror community and the movies that scared them when they were kids. And Terry, are you doing a fundraiser right now you might want to tell us about? I am doing a fundraiser. All month for Pride, I am hosting a variety of LGBTQ voices in the horror industry, in the horror community that are providing an article. I think I have like 45 uh, queer writers that have submitted. So every day there's at least one article going up. And the intent behind it is that we are trying to raise funds for the Trevor Project. And I'm blown away because we're on the fourth day of it. And we've already smashed my $3,000 goal that I thought was... That's awesome! Yeah. So like... I think when this episode airs, there's still some time to donate to it. So Mm -hmm. please, please do if you have the ability to. I know it's kind of difficult now with everything going on. But uh, if you do have the ability to, please, it would be great if you would help donate to the Trevor Project. Awesome. Thank you. Joe, Mm -hmm. if they want to yell at you... Where do they find Always you? Always yelling at me. Uh-huh. You can find me at B still my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you want to find us both, you can use the hashtag HKHSpod. And of course, if you've got something longer for us or ideas for minisodes, please send them to HKHSpod at gmail.com. We love your ideas for minisodes, and we have, I think, acted on most of them so far. We're getting there, yeah. Getting there. This is the end of the you and I decided minisode, so at this point we'll be dipping back into listeners' suggestions. Yay! But first, we actually have to go back to a regular sode. Right. Ah, dear. 
So we're going to be checking out the second entry in the Harry Potter franchise, yeah. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, yeah. which is written by legitimate garbage human being J.K. Mm-hmm. Rowling. Correct. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, we'll be reading the book and watching the film, obviously, and we may have a special guest. Yes, mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that is what we are going to be doing next week. So if you can, try not to buy the book or mm-hmm. pay for the movie. Try mm-hmm. to rent them from somewhere like a library so that you're not giving Miss Rowling any more money so that she can spouse her transphobic garbage into the world. I strongly recommend unfollowing her on Twitter if you haven't yet. It just makes Ugh. your life better. I just, yeah, no. Yeah. Um... On that note, on that story <laughs> note, with thanks again to Terry. Until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.